Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello everybody. It's been a little while since I've been able to record a podcast for you. I'm happy to do so. May sound a little weird, but I miss you all <laughs> when it's been too long since I've done this. I, I do enjoy doing these, if you can't tell. I hope you can tell that I enjoy doing these. Uh, one of the things I love to do from a kind of a nerdy perspective is I like to look at the data on um, where my listeners are, where people are downloading and listening to this podcast and... Gosh, I think it's something like 30 different countries at this point. So I welcome you wherever you are in the world. Um, Makes me really happy to be able to talk to so many people this way. Uh, And I do love to hear back from you. And, uh, you know, you can contact me through my website. It's probably the easiest way. There's definitely information there. And at the end of the podcast, I always have, uh, you know, the announcer comes on and talks about my URL and my website and where where I'm at. So today, it's a beautiful morning as I record this. I'm looking out. Spring has definitely sprung. The trees are not quite yet fully, what, what, how do you call that, enleaved? In, in the leaves are not fully out on the, on the trees yet, but they're all, um, they're all budding. And that's beautiful. And the um, the the animals around here are very active. The birds are crazy. I, I do feed the birds and the small animals uh, in my area, and so we are we're well into spring here. Days are days are longer. We're getting uh, warmer weather. Most of the time, I can go outside without a coat, and that is a wonderful thing up here in Maine, where I am. If you don't know where Maine is in the U.S. We're pretty north, and um, we're, in fact, we're about as far north as you can get in the continental U.S. Not, we don't, uh, you know, Alaska is its own thing. It's not attached to the, the main part of the country, so that it's farther north. But as far as the 48, what they call lower states go, we're about as far north as you can get and as far east as you can get. So we're up in the, if you're looking at a map of the United States, we're up in the upper right-hand corner. Anyway, today I'm going to talk about sex. Wow. How can I talk about sex in a podcast about spirituality? And depending on who you are and how you were raised, those things might seem somewhat contradictory, sex and spirituality. But I want to talk about them, uh, extremely important topics, uh, and, and extremely important to look at them, I think, together and where we are and where we've come from. And um, I will put things in the context of where I come from. And I mentioned today that I'm from Maine and I mentioned where it is. And uh, that's an important factor here. And the reason is, the reason that's important where I'm from um you know where I'm from isn't important, but but it is in the context of this conversation. 
because I grew up in an area of the United States called New England. And New England was is famous for being settled by Puritans, amongst many other people later on, but originally settled the European um, people that came over here. Many of them were puritanical. They were um, escaping religious prosecution from England and, um, you know, uh, came over some via the Netherlands. There's a whole mixture of story there. But anyway, um, the Puritans obviously has the word, the name pure in it. And I am um, on my, actually on both sides of my family descended from Puritan stock. So my families have been here since the 1600s. and uh, <laughs> passed down a lot of ancestral baggage, we'll put it that way. A lot of ancestral karma, a lot of ancestral wounding. And the word Puritan has the word pure in it, does it not? Um, and interestingly, the Puritans were essentially Calvinists. And um, to sort of break down the worldview there, um, you know, to, to reduce it to very simple terms, um, pleasure, anything that you derived pleasure from was almost seen as sinful. So things like dancing, um, gambling, um, definitely sex, although, you know, certainly sex was seen as necessary for reproduction. And there are stories of uh, infidelity in the early co- colonies and, um, you know, the Scarlet le- Letter if you're familiar with that story, was written about the Puritans, although it's it's fiction, it, it didn't didn't actually happen. Um, but certainly, people could be punished for sexual, you know, sexual things for sex sex crimes, and not I'm not talking about the sex crimes we have today. I'm talking about like adultery or um, fornication or you know things that were outside the. Pers- prescribed um, sexual norms given by the church at the time. And we certainly had, uh, you know, gave rise, you know, all of this um, sort of religious fervor gave rise to the witch trials in in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, I did have an ancestor who was arrested as a witch, but survived by the time the, you know, there's a whole long, whole long story about that, about how, you know, somebody basically bought her, bought her freedom, I guess. Um, and then the, the witch trials, you know, people came to their senses eventually. Um, so I want to talk about how sex and spirituality can coincide in a positive way. And I'm going to differentiate um, a little bit spirituality, and um, religion. Um, and they, they can be the same thing. You, you may be a religious person. And one of the, you know, one of the things about religion um, that may be different from spirituality for people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious is that religion tends to place rules. There tends to be dogma, right? There tends to be um, an organization that puts certain rules in place and you have to follow these rules or there may be 
there may be punishment or there may, you know, you may have to follow these rules to get the reward, whatever that is, right? So in Christianity, for example, you get to go to heaven if you follow the rules or in some belief systems, you go to hell, you're punished for all eternity if you don't follow the rules. And um, those rules certainly can be applied to sex quite a bit, right? Um, lots and lots of rules about sex in the Bible. However, um, I do want to point out that there is a, um, there's a lot of interpretation, <laughs> there's a lot of interpretation and you can see that the rules change throughout the years if you look at if you look at history. So, um, my personal position as a uh, person who is spiritual but not necessarily religious, um, as somebody who practices spirituality on a professional level, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, you know, I practice shamanism. I am a shamanic healer. I see people, um, you know. I advise people. My personal position on sex is that any sexual activity between adults that is consensual is fine. And consent is the key, right? Um, And I also mentioned the word adults. Um, You know, in our culture, children cannot consent. Um, You know, children are not legally able to give consent, and, um, you know, even if they gr- agree to activity, uh, technically doesn't matter. And the same thing for people who are, you know, maybe mentally disabled or under the influence of certain substances, you know, they're not, you know, they're technically not able to give consent. So consent, consent is key. Consensual activity is the key. Non-consensual activity is never okay. And that's really it for me. That's really where I draw the line. Um, other than that, any sexual activity is is fine. It's totally fine. And in fact, many, you know, one of the things I want to talk about today is how um, sex can be part of your spiritual practice and can deepen your spiritual practice and can enhance and can, um, you know, bring joy to your spiritual practice. So, you know, I'm not going to talk about the range of sexual activity because there are, you know, that could be a series of podcasts in itself. Um, but I do want to talk about it from a spiritual perspective. You know, most people, even in the West, were familiar with the um, things like Tantra and the Kama Sutra and the, you know, the the temple carvings in India depicting all these different um, sex acts, for example, right? Sexual positions, ways of raising energy. So there is at least one tradition where sex was seen as sacred, as a sacred act. Um, But if you look, uh, and you could do some, you could do a little bit of research, even go to, um, I was looking Earlier, as I was getting ready for this podcast, um, I was looking through Wikipedia on uh, the practice of sacred prostitution, for example, um, which is exists in history all over the world, almost every culture, 
almost every culture has this idea of um, sacred sex workers. Um, and not all of them are female. There are male male sex workers as well listed in um, some of these cultures. And it was considered a sacred act to have sex in a, you know, in a temple. Um, you know, maybe for example, a temple to Aphrodite or, you know, we see it in, in Sumer, we see it in Babylon, we see it, um, in Asia, certainly, um, lots of places in Asia. We see it in Mesoamerica. So, there is something pre-Abrahamic religions, right? Before the, um, you know, before Christianity, Islam, and Judaism sort of took over a lot of the planet, um, there is a tradition of sacred sexual activity. In fact, special temples sometimes built for that purpose, so what's going on here? Why why is that the case? Why is um, sex such a taboo in some cultures? So anyway, I grew up in this, you know, I'm going to go back to my upbringing and, and where I grew up. So I grew up in this New England culture where um, even today I, I feel like we're still um, suffering from our puritanical past, though that be more than 400 years ago now. I feel like, you know, particularly me growing up, even though I was growing up in the middle of the what was considered the sexual revolution and, you know, sex started to be talked about on television and the radio and songs, um, songs were becoming more explicit in our culture and Western culture anyway. Um, even though that was happening, I still grew up in a culture where uh, sex was something that was whispered about. It was hidden. It was in the shadows. It was, you know, there was certainly a lot of it going around. And again, this is what happens when something is seen as shameful, when something natural, something that can be beautiful, something that we all have the impulse for, is pushed into the shadows. It becomes a shadow activity. It becomes... Um, perverted, and I don't mean sexually perverted. I mean, it becomes, this impulse becomes perverted, comes in the the wrong direction. So there becomes a lot of um, sex crimes against children. We see that in religious institutions that enforce celibacy, for example. Um, And my personal opinion, you know, my personal opinion on that, I'm not bashing anybody's particular religious belief or or um, practice, you know, I'm not trying to do that, but I do think that um, enforced celibacy is unnatural. Um, Some people consider themselves asexual, and that's totally fine, too. That's a fine choice as well, if that's your choice, if that's how you feel, um, if that's honestly you have no sexual impulse. Um, I don't necessarily think that people with, uh, you take somebody with healthy, normal sexual impulse and you say, guess what? You're not going to have an outlet for that for the rest of your life and just pray that away. Um, 
I think that's a little bit of a recipe for disaster. And I think, again, it pushes, I've talked about the shadow quite a lot. I will continue to talk about the shadow. It pushes those impulses into the shadow. And if you do not have a way, proper way of dealing with that, it's going to come out in a way that is unexpected, uncontrolled, um, you know, and perhaps victimizes other people. I think there are, I think there are very good practices out there. Um, I think mostly coming from the East, what we consider the East, you know, there are tantric practices, not necessarily tantric sex, but tantric practices of, um, converting sexual energy into, you know, other forms of spiritual energy. I think there are ways of doing that. Um, but I think the, you know, when that's missing, when that outlet is missing, when that way of converting that energy to something else and it's just pushed into the shadow and not acknowledged that, gosh, I'm a human being. Um, that's, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. And we've seen that. We've seen that with, you know, perhaps millions of cases of child sexual abuse. Millions. Um, that's mind-boggling to me. Absolutely crazy um, to me. And again, you go back to consent and adults um, and children can't consent. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just not okay. So, and there's something, you know, there's something definitely going on here. There's an elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Um, and that is, I think, um, forced celibacy or enforced celibacy. Um, nobody seems to be talking about that aspect of the, of the clergy child sex abuse problem. Um, so anyway, I digress. I do want to talk more about, um, uh, sacred sexuality and sexual sexuality and spirituality and how they can sort of live hand in hand. So, um, again, going back to where, where I grew up, you know, um, there's this underlying idea that sex is specifically for procreation, for making babies. And that should only be done with the person that you marry. And if you're not married, sex is wrong in the eyes of God. Um, so, you know, for the, you know, most of human existence prior to, you know, prior to organized religion, there was no marriage, right? I mean, people may have coupled, but there wasn't, um, you know, there weren't churches, there weren't all of this thing. So, you know, while I think marriage is a fine and grand institution, um, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, we have greater than 50% uh, divorce rate in the United States, for example. So maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. And yes, um, sex can lead to children being born. And it is the main way um, until we invented, you know, modern, until modern science came along and invented other ways of, um, you know, in vitro fertilization and things like that, it, 
I mean, it is still the main way that babies are created. And so it's very easy to look at that and, you know, slap on the, the idea that, okay, the, the only purpose of sex is to make new babies. But that ignores a whole range of the human experience, right? It ignores the idea that sexual activity um, releases positive hormones. It releases hormones that make us feel good. It triggers our reward system and you know, again, you could you could be single-minded and argue that this is an impulse towards making, you know, making children, right? Our, our species needs to reproduce. And so, you know, we evolved to have, you know, to derive pleasure and to release stress and all of these, you know, all of the positive things. And medical science knows that... Um, you know, regular sexual sexual activity is is good for you. It's you know, it's stress relieving. It it has good effects on blood pressure and all kinds of things. And it, so, you know, it, it's a very healthy activity. Um, I like to look at things from several perspectives. From you know, really simply from a body mind spirit perspective, right? If we were just to divide human experience into these three. Th- areas okay so body we talked about that there's you know sex has a physical effect that's positive on your body okay you've got great hormones that come out from um sexual activity um lower blood pressure all kinds of great physiological things happen to you um let's talk about the mind aspect right so when we relieve stress through sexual activity or we um, become closer with somebody, or um, you know, all of you know, all of these things. Um, again, you could have you can you can have sex on just a physical level and not have that emotional, mental connection with somebody, um, but you may be missing an aspect. And it's fine. Again, I'm not going to judge. Um, I'm not going to. I'm not going to judge anybody for any consensual activity. I'm just saying that sex can can be, um, sex can be a mind body spirit experience. You can have a transcendent spiritual experience um, during sexual activity. Um, this could include a partner, and it could be solo as well, or it could include more than one partner. Again, I don't judge activity that's consensual. Um, so when I talk about solo activity, I talk about masturbation, for example. Um, you could certainly have that have a mind, body, spirit experience. And again, I go back to um, practices like tantra, which are about sort of transforming spiritual energy into spiritual energy. And um, you know, there's a whole. There's a whole science there, you know, the whole, um, lots and lots of, I am not an expert in Tantra. I've, you know, looked at it briefly, but there, there's a whole, you know, whole experience there. From a, from a shamanic perspective, um, you know, there, 
there is a merging. So I'm just talking about sex with a partner now. There's a merging of energy. And if the experience is positive for for both individuals, um, and I would argue that you should be, um, should is should's a tough word because it implies a judgment, but it's not really a judgment here. Um, I'm just saying if you want to get the most out of sexual experience, if you want to have a mind body experience, mind body spirit experience, um, when here's an insider tip: when both people, when if you're having experience with one other person, um, when both are dedicated to and intent on the other person having the maximum experience, there's a um, melding of energy. There is a, you know, you are as close as you can be to another human being. You are ex- really experiencing the other person's energy field and you can grow both energy fields that way. Both people can come out of the experience um, feeling satisfied, feeling, you know, um, peaceful but energized, feeling um, fulfilled. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a pretty amazing spiritual experience to me. That's when, um, when sex can become spiritual, at least in my experience. And um, when you can also have experiences with people and we've, maybe we've all experienced this at some point in our life where um, one person is not necessarily, when one person is more of a taker or one person is more um, just along for the ride or that sort of thing. And that experience is, I can tell you, not as satisfying as both people being intently into the moment um, there's a mindfulness piece where you can be just completely absorbed in the present moment, um, and it can become a transcendent experience. So sex can become a transcendent experience. So let's talk about um, the concept of sex and sin for a moment, because there is no shortage of religious dogma that is um, placing certain activities and sex within the realm of sin. Um, And sin is a weird word, right? The roots of the word sin in uh, means to like miss at one point it meant like to miss your mark, like an archer missing a target that they were shooting for. You kind of, you kind of messed up. You kind of missed your mark. But also we have the word like, um, you know, from a Western um, religion perspective, we have the word abomination creeping in a lot as well. This is an abomination. So you, you have offended, you have offended God. Right? You've done something that offends God. And again, I, I don't want to bash on anybody's personal beliefs, but you know, one of the reasons why I consider myself spiritual but not religious is that I find it challenging to imagine an omnipotent, 
omnipresent, omniscient, loving God that is everywhere and everything that could be offended by something. Like offense, like I think we're anthropomorphizing. I think we're placing, I think we're honestly writing down some rules and we want to, you know, back before we had, you know, law enforcement and investigation and we used the threat of hell to keep people in line. And that's really all I'll kind of say about that. Um, And some of these rules, you know, if you read, if you read the Bible and you read, you know, all of the rules that were written down that are, you know, practiced by some observant people, even today, many of them were um, made sense at the time, right? So prohibitions against pork and shellfish, for example, um, in the in the Bible or, you know, in, in Leviticus anyway, um, you know, back in the day, those were unsafe foods, you know, pork, um, you know, you get trichinosis from and shellfish, um, you know, certainly could get bacterial infections from. And so those were, those were, um, you know, health guidelines. Um, and, you know, it made sense um, in the days before religion, you know, refrigeration, I must said religion, refrigeration and, um, you know, and health inspections and all of those things, right? Um, I think prohibitions against sexual activity were, um, there, there were a couple of reasons for, for those in sort of most cultures, religious systems. I'm not just talking about, um, you know, the Abrahamic religions. Um, one was that um, throughout history, there ha- you know, sexually transmitted diseases were rampant, right? Throughout most of history, we didn't have a way of treating those. So, you know, um, you know, we can look at all sorts of, you know, syphilis outbreaks throughout history and all kinds of stuff like that. So I think these um, things where, you know, women had to be a virgin when they were married and, and that sort of thing, um, I think a lot of that actually was to control sexually transmitted diseases, one aspect. Um, so there's, there's a lot of talk about, there's a lot of description of, you know, um, women who are virgins being clean, clean or unclean, right? A very simplistic view of potentially, um, potentially carrying disease, right? And of course, of course, the impetus was placed on women. Of course it was because we were living in a patriarchy. So of course, um, you know, we were living in a patriarchy. We're living in a patriarchal system, meaning we have to put all this pressure on women um, and push women down and all of those things. So, um so I think that was one reason. I think, I think a second reason why sexual prohibitions um, in many religious systems came about was that um, marriage and children were a way of um, exchanging property and having sort of le- you know passing property down through. Um, you know, from generation to generation and property rights were frequently passed through males and all of this thing. 
And so if you, you know, if you had children out of wedlock and, you know, it made um, decisions about where property went um, much more complicated, right? So I think that was a second reason. And I think, I honestly think a third reason is that, um, you know, there were these uh, temples where ecstatic sexual practice was performed, right? And, um, you know, that put a lot of power in the hands of women. Um, it put a lot of power in um, in males who were maybe practicing homosexuality, in these temples, there were there were um, temples where uh, there were homosexual prostitutes, and prostitutes an interesting word. They may or may not have been paid; it might have just been a, a sacred service. I, I don't, you know, there's a lot of debate about that still in academic cir- circles. I haven't studied it academically, so I can't speak to that. So, um, so there's a lot of power there, a lot of spiritual power in in sex, right? And in ecstatic states, there's a lot of power. And so there are a lot of prohibitions around that. There are a lot of um, powerful people wanting to maintain power. So you got to remember that patriarchal systems are a big pyramid scheme where you have very few people on top and a whole lot of people on the bottom. Whole lot of people on the bottom. Right, very very wealthy, powerful people on top, and a whole lot of poor people to keep those wealthy people on top. Um, it used to be so. For example, um, one small example in the Christian world, um, all you know, there was a point in time where all Bibles were written in Latin, and it was illegal in some places, in many places, to own a Bible that was printed in a language that could be spoken by the common people so that only the um, privileged uh, clergy who were, you know, educated enough to read and understand Latin could understand, could understand the Bible, could read and understand the Bible. You had to go to them for everything. Mass was said in Latin up until, I don't know, the 60s or the 70s in the United States. So people went to church and didn't even understand what was being said. Don't quite understand that myself, to be honest, other than, other than you had to, you know, it's like, um, It's, you know, I, I don't know why Latin was considered the, well, I, I know why, but um, anyway, so power was kept out of the hands of the people, and I think it's the same, so I think that is a, a third re- reason why sexual activity was so proscribed, so, um, you know, seen as sinful outside of certain allowable situations, one in particular, being married and making babies, right? You need a whole lot of people at the bottom of the ladder. You need a whole lot of people at the bottom of the pyramid. So get married and have babies and be good workers because the very wealthy people 
which are, you know, the six people at the top of the pyramid, um, need your labor to live in luxury. Um, you know, and I, I understand that's pretty cynical, pretty cynical, but, um, you know, that's my take on patriarchy in general. Um, you know, it's a power, it's a power system that we've been living in for thousands of years and it can be challenging to see it because it informs everything about our culture. It's like a, a fish swimming in the ocean is probably not aware of water, right? We're, we're most of the time maybe not aware of the atmosphere we live in. If it were gone, we sure would be. Um, or, you know, if you go up in a plane and your ears pop, uh, oh, the atmosphere changed um, because we're in it all the time. And the same is true with culture. We live in a culture. We swim in our culture. It places pressure upon us. It enforces things upon us that we may not even be aware of in really, really subtle ways. I'm going to digress just a little bit here um, and talk about, you know, talk about the, um, you know, talk about the idea of how culture, you know, particularly in the West, um, permeates without even, without even giving it much, much consideration, right? So, I talked earlier about the witch trials in um, Massachusetts that happened, you know, in the, in the 1600s. And, um, you know, certainly there were burning witches in um, Europe for centuries. You know, I, there's estimates like 4 million people killed, mostly women. Again, it's patriarchy, right? Um, I mean, there were, certainly were men. Um, there were men that were killed during the witch trials in Salem, but it was predominantly women. Um, and there's a lot of stories about why that occurred and the symbolism of that and all of that, all of that. Um, I think it's probably incredibly safe to say that most of the people, um, in the Western world who were murdered as witches were not actually practicing witchcraft. They might have been in some minor ways, but um, I think most of the time it was, you know, somebody who may have been what we would consider mentally ill. It could have been somebody, it could have just been somebody that there was a grudge against. I'm thinking of the Monty Python sketch from the Holy Grail um, where they put the nose on the woman and they march her through and they tell, um, you know, they oh, she's a witch, and they put her on the scale and measure against a duck. It's just um, crazy and silly, you know, in this modern age. So this idea of um, witches and witches being evil and all of these things, and and by the way, I mean, you know, even if they were practicing witchcraft, it's not... Um, you know, they, they turned everything that wasn't mainstream Christian religion into devil worship pretty much back then. It's why we had the Inquisition. It's why we had, you know, it's the it was a way of othering people, making people the other. You're doing something that is outside of the culture that we want to enforce. Therefore, you are evil and you are in league with the devil. You're the worst kind of thing that we can imagine and you 
will be put to death for that. And um, millions, estimates of millions of people were killed. Um, it's, you know, again, it's craziness. It's pure insanity. Um, but so that culture permeates. We still have movies coming out in the United States um, where witches are the witches are the bad guys. <clears throat> and I realize that's changed a little bit, right? We have um, The Wizard of Oz back in the 30s, which had, which had a good witch and a bad witch, right? Or a couple of, couple of bad witches and at least one good witch. Um, we had, uh, you know, I'm thinking of the movie that came out, not that, you know, a few years back, called the witch and you know which reinforced the whole puritan idea of the you know the witches in the woods eating babies and that sort of thing you know and i grew up um you know and lived through the you know the 80s the satanic panic in the united states where there you know everybody was looking for these cults that were murdering babies and all of this stuff and um it was like the witch trials all over again. It was a panic. It was um, not based in not based in reality. It was not based in in anything. <clears throat> so this this culture, this um, cultural norm, this archetype, if you would, was you know set up has been running in our culture for thou- for hundreds of years. Um, and then, you know, even with the sexual revolution and, you know, spiritual spirituality going through a large transition where now most people, um, most people in the United States do not associate with any particular organized religion for the first time in history. Um, that's not to say, you know, there are lots of people, lots and lots of people describing themselves as spiritual, but not religious that's, you know, that's becoming more common. But the whole point of this is to show that the these um, cultural themes are, despite our progress, despite being ongoing, um, continue. These cultural themes of witches are the bad guys that eat babies or do whatever... Um, you know, we've got movies like Snow White and all of, you know, again from the thirties, um, but continuing, you know, the witches movies, right? Hocus Pocus, um, you know, uh, and, and there are a few, there are a few, um, movies and TV shows and stuff where that show, um, witches in, I don't mean to pick on witches, but it's like, just to point out that witches have been picked on, right? Um, and undeservingly have been picked on for um, centuries. And most of the people who are persecuted as witches probably were not. There's a story about um, the women who used to brew beer, and um, they would wear these tall pointy hats. Hey, where did the idea of witches wearing tall pointy hats come from? And then the monasteries figured out that they could make money brewing beer, and so they started burning um, 
ale wives, they were called the women who brewed beer as witches, stirring their cauldrons with their big pointy hats. What do you think that's all about? That symbol is all about. It was, it was, um, you know, pure economics back then, you know, burning, burning people at the stake so you could take over their business. It's pure economics. Um, and that's, again, it's part of the patriarchy. These monasteries were like, Hey, you know, we need a lot of money to feed ourselves and we're not, you know, what can we do? We could, without leaving the monastery, we could brew beer. Um, Oh, but these women are brewing beer and they already live in the villages and you know, whatever. So that was a common thing in Europe anyway. So, um, I mentioned all of this and I went off on that tangent just to point out the fact that our cultural ideas about sex are prevalent and they go back to things, you know, they, they go back to things that we may not even be in touch with anymore, right? They may, we may not even understand why some of these prohibitions were in place. Um, we certainly don't. Um, and we may not understand why we have certain thoughts and feelings about sex ourselves because culture has a way of enforcing these norms until they become unconscious habitual patterns. Um, and there's always these pendulum swings, right? The sexual revolution of the 60s was a pendulum swing from, um, you know, the uptight 40s and 50s, you know, where they they censored Elvis Presley because his hips wiggled too much on TV when he, when he performed, um, I would hate to imagine people watching some of the music video from that era, watching some of the music videos from today, be utterly shocked, shocked. Um, you know, so there, there, there can be these pendulum swings, right? And, um, and this is just about, um, sexual norms and what's what's accepted in society and every culture is different every you know where you live might be very you know if you're not listening to this from the united states might be very very different um culturally and so you know it's important to to at least understand that we all of our behavior is informed by the culture that we live in, whether or not we buck that culture or we, um, you know, uphold the cultural norms. It's hard to buck culture because um, being an outcaster seen as other is uh, difficult. It makes life difficult, right? It's easier to do that today than it was years ago because you can, you can go online and find a community of people who are like you. Right. If I were, you know, uh, growing up in the 1980s where I spent a lot of my youth and I started telling people I was practicing shamanism, they'd probably look at me cross-eyed. Most people wouldn't know what the word meant, um, you know, that sort of thing. I don't think I knew what the word meant in the 1980s. So, um, so there you go. Um, but nowadays there are large, you know, there are large communities. So, um, again, I want to get back to, um, you know, the topic of this, uh, this particular podcast is, um, 
sex positive spirituality and how can how can we be more sex positive and you know what i think is you know how i think we can move in that direction is that we can um look at you know we can look at sex as start to look at sex as a positive thing and start to apply our um spiritual vision to that Right, and we can take a more positive stance and say, "Hey, you know what? Um, you know, we've got to speak in sex and hushed of sex and hushed tones. Maybe we don't have to do that anymore. Maybe we can speak speak more openly about it. And from a spiritual perspective, we can look at it um, as generative, as positive, as having a mon- mind, body, spirit effect." On us as human beings and as um, part of our path towards spiritual growth, towards enlightenment, towards divine expression. And how can we practice, how can we use sex as part of our practice um, and have, and use that as having a relationship with a divine that is, you know, the core of all of us, our divine self are in some circles called the holy guardian angel, right? As an expression of the divine, how do, how does that inform our sex lives? And can we more identify with the divine when we're having sexual activity? How does that, and how does, how does our spirituality enhance rather than hinder our sex life and vice versa? How does our sex life enhance our spirituality. And I don't want to be too prescriptive here because if I did, then I would be guilty of what I'm kind of complaining about if I'm complaining at all. Um, but I'm, I just want to give you some pointers in how you might begin to think about sex-positive spirituality. How we can embrace... Um, we can embrace the concept that sex is not bad and evil and um, horrible and to be spoken of in hushed tones, that it's as natural a part of the human experience as eating, drinking, and sleeping, um, that it can bring joy, that it can bring ecstasy, that it can bring, um, I don't know, enlightenment, that it can bring us closer to our divine nature. I just want to put those thoughts in your head so you can think about that. And um, so that maybe you can, you know, maybe sex can become more fulfilling for some people. Maybe um, maybe it can deepen your relationship with spirit. Um, I hope, you know, I hope so. I hope we can work towards that. Um, you know, I think that is, you know, I think there is no, you know, when we start to say things are bad or good or evil or, you know, whatever, um, you know, and we're placing, we're placing a lot of judgment on, you know, the the many dimensions of human beings. I talk about this a lot, how um, as a human being, you're incredibly complex. Um, No human is simple. 
all beings are, are complex, but humans especially so. We, you know, we have a body, mind, and spirit. We have free will. Um, we have many, many dimensions. We are, you know, we are divine emanations. We are, you know, we have a, a spark of pure divinity of Godhood within us. We have energy bodies. We have physical bodies. We have mental bodies, astral bodies. We can evolve spiritually. In a single lifetime, we can evolve tremendously spiritually. And I believe we live many lifetimes and we evolve, you know, the point, the point if there is one is to evolve during each of those. So pushing, you know, and, and again, along with those many layers, there are many dimensions. There are many, you know, there are many human dimensions. There are many human experiences. And to um, cut some of those off, because some part of our culture tells us that they're wrong or bad or, you know, whatever. Um, I just think we're missing a lot. It's like chopping off a limb, right? It's like, um, you know, it's like missing a hand or something. You know, we're not, we're not living life in a fully human way. And again, this is no, you know, I realize there are people out there who identify as asexual, and that is fine too. It's fine if it's your choice to do so. Um, you know, but that is a, you know, that's a dimension that you're, you know, that you're experiencing. It's a dimension of human experience that you're experiencing, and your experience is fine. Um, I'm just talking about locking away part of human experience because, um, because somebody 400 years ago or 2,000 years ago or however long ago said, X is bad. Don't eat shellfish. Don't, um, you know, whatever it is. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't, uh, you know, don't masturbate. Don't do X, Y, or Z. Because... If you do, you're going to be punished. Um, you know, it, I just, I don't, I don't buy into that personally. Um, and I don't want to, you know, again, it's hard to talk about this stuff and not um, come off as attacking anybody's spirituality. I'm not trying to do that. Um, I realize I may have, <laughs> um, and I apologize. Um, but you know, I live, I live in a world where I, you know, I've experienced again growing up in a culture that comes from Puritanism, which is, uh, which was outdated when it was when it existed four hundred years ago, um, and I believe that has caused, personally, I believe that that repression has caused a lot of problems over the years for people, um, for individuals, psychologically, so, you know, from, you know, socially caused a whole lot of, a whole lot of mess. Um, judgment and shame are not positive things. Shame is, shame is incredibly destructive. Um, incredibly destructive. Um, shame 
the idea that we are broken, the idea that we are bad, the idea that we are not worthy of love or human compassion. You know, that um, there's something wrong with us because we have normal human compulsions or um, any of those things. Shame is um, shame is incredibly destructive. Um, it's destructive to society. It's destructive to the individual. You can't have society without healthy individuals. You can't have a healthy society without healthy individuals, right? Um, it's sort of like saying, well, you know, I, and generally I'm healthy, but my heart is failing, right? Then generally you aren't healthy, you know? Um unless you take care of you take care of the problem with your heart um you know your your other organs are going to suffer for sure um so you can't have a really healthy society without healthy individuals i think um and i think shame causes a lot of mental health uh problems um you know and i you know i can tell you i can speak from personal experience having lived through a lot of childhood abuse um, there was a certain amount of shame in that for me, and I did suffer for many years for that. I never talked about it, and I talk about it fairly openly now because um, it's part of my path in overcoming that shame, that none of that stuff was my fault. Um, you know, I certainly felt like it was a part of me somehow. I don't know. Um, you know, it's weird. We, you know, we go through this stuff. So in places where our spirituality enforces a level of shame, I do think it's unhealthy. And I think it's something to look at. And I think it's something to ask yourself whether you accept that part of your spirituality or not. The part that causes you shame or doesn't allow you to live who you are My whole, um, I have a, you know, this, this idea that, um, you know, for people who know me on a personal level, that I just want people to feel like they can be who they are around me. And I remember I had a dear friend many years ago who, um, um, and I had suspected for many years that he was gay, for example, um, but he had not come out of the closet, and so it wasn't for me to ask or to force the issue or whatever. I just accepted him as a dear friend, and um, you know, one day, you know, one day he came out to me, and I was so um, it was a very it, it was, I think, a more emotional moment for me than it was for him, um, uh, which is which is interesting because it was such an honor. It was such an honor for me that um, to understand that I had been enough of a friend to him that he felt safe coming out to me, and I can't, uh, you know, I'm I. You know, I'm, I'm a straight male and I don't, I cannot understand, I cannot fully understand or comprehend what it must be like um, to live in the closet for most of your life and then 
you know, come out to people that you care about and come out to your friends and not understanding how they're going to react. I, I like, I don't have an understanding of that from a firsthand perspective, but I can think about how, gosh, oh my, you know, I, I can, I can understand it as an outsider and say, wow, that, you know, what a step. And so it's a very emotional thing for me um, because I really want the people around me to just be who they are and to be honest and to be able to be vulnerable with me and for me not to judge them and for them to feel safe. I want to be a safe person for people. And so, um, you know, that's something I would, you know, if you're listening to this, it's something I would, um, I would encourage for, for you as well. I hope that if you're listening to this podcast that you are someone who's in touch with your um, spiritual side to a level that you, um, that you understand what being a safe person, how important it is to be a safe person in the world. Um, I would encourage you to at least think about that. You know, the people in my life, how can I be a safe person for them? How can, you know, not just about sexuality, but about anything. How can you be that person who doesn't judge, who sets aside any of your cultural conditioning and just looks at this person with you who, as a human being, who, you know, um, can be vulnerable, but is also an aspect of the divine as as much as anybody else. And how can you be with them? How can you be witness to them and without judging, holding them without judgment? So with that, um, without, hopefully I'm not getting too preachy on you. Um, not my intention, um, but it's something that I feel very strongly about. Um, I want, I, I would like you to think about that and I would like you to think about um, how we can make spirituality more sex positive, how sex can be less embarrassing and shameful and part of our human experience and um, part of our spirituality. Um, and with that, I will leave you. I would encourage you to, if you have any comments or questions or topics or anything that you'd like me to discuss in the future, Please get in touch with me through my website and the announcer will tell you where that is. been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.